0: Chapter Thirty, Part Two of Melmoth, the Wanderer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Melmoth, the Wanderer, by Charles Robert Maturin. Chapter Thirty, Part Two the hour arrived and an express was dispatched from london to mortimer castle with intelligence in which king charles with that splendid courtesy which half redeemed his vices announced himself most deeply interested inasmuch as it added to the honours of the loyal family whose services he appreciated so highly the victory was complete and captain john sandal in the phrase which the king's attachment to French manners and language was beginning to render popular, had covered himself with glory. Amid the thickest of the fight, in an open boat, he had carried a message from Lord Sandwich to the Duke of York, under a shower of balls, and when older officers had stoutly declined the perilous errand. And when on his return, Optum, the Dutch admiral's ship, blew up, Amid the crater of the explosion, John Sandal plunged into the sea to save the half-drowning, half-burning wretches who clung to the fragments that scorched them, or sunk in the boiling waves, and then, dismissed on another fearful errand, flung himself between the Duke of York and the ball that struck at one blow the Earl of Falmouth, Lord Muscary, and Mr. Boyle, and when they all fell at the same moment, wiped with unfaltering hand and on bended knee, their brains and gore, with which the Duke of York was covered from head to foot. When this was read by Mrs. Anne Mortimer, with many pauses, caused by sight dim with age and diffused with tears, and when length finishing the long and laborious read detail, Mrs. Anne exclaimed, "'He is a hero!' Eleanor tremblingly whispered to herself, He is a Christian. The details of such an event forming a kind of era in a family so sequestered, imaginative, and heroic as that of the Mortimers, the contents of the letter signed by the king's own hand were read over and over again they formed the theme of converse at their meals and the subject of their study and comment when alone margaret dwelt much on the gallantry of the action and half imagined she saw the tremendous explosion of optham's ship Eleanor repeated to herself and he plunged amid the burning wave to save the lives of the men he had conquered and some months elapsed before the brilliant vision of glory and of grateful royalty faded from their imagination and when it did like that of Mycillus, it left honey on the eyelids of the dreamer from the date of the arrival of this intelligence a change had taken place in the habits and manners of Eleanor, so striking as to become the object of notice to all but herself her health her rest and her imagination became the prey of indefinable fantasies the cherished images of the past the lovely visions of her golden childhood seemed fearfully and insanely contrasted in her imagination with the ideas of slaughter and blood of decks strewed with courses and of a young and terrible conqueror bestriding them amid showers of ball and clouds of fire her very senses reeled between these opposite impressions her reason could not brook the sudden transition from the smiling and cupid-like companion of her childhood to the hero of the embattled deep and of nations and navies on fire garments rolled in blood the thunder of the battle and the shouting she sat and tried as well as her wandering fancy would allow her to reconcile the images of that remembered eye whose beam rested on her like the dark blue of a summer heaven swimming in dewy light with the flash that darted from the burning eye of the conqueror whose light was as fatal where it fell as his sword she saw him as he had once sat beside her smiling like the first morning in spring and smiled in return the slender form the soft and springy movements the kiss of childhood that felt like velvet and scented like balm was suddenly exchanged in her dream for all her thoughts were dreams, For a fearful figure of one drenched in blood And spattered with brains and gore. And Eleanor, half screaming, exclaimed, Is this he whom I loved? Thus her mind, vacillating between contrasts So strongly opposed, Began to feel its moorings give way. She drifted from rock to rock, and on every rock she struck a wreck Eleanor relinquished her usual meetings with the family she sat in her own apartment all the day and most of the evening it was a lonely turret projecting so far from the walls of the castle that there were windows or rather casements on three sides there Eleanor sat to catch the blast let it blow as it would and imagined she heard in its meanings the cries of drowning seamen no music that her lute or that which margaret touched with a more powerful and brilliant finger could wean her from this melancholy indulgence hush she would say to the females who attended her hush let me listen to the blast it waves many a banner spread for victory it sighs over many a head that has been laid low her amazement that a being could be at once so gentle and so ferocious her dread that the habits of his life must have converted the angel of her wilderness into a brave but brutal seaman estranged from the feelings that had rendered the beautiful boy so indulgent to her errors so propitiatory between her and her proud relatives so adent in all her amusements so necessary to her very existence the tones of this dreamy life harmonized awfully for Eleanor with the sound of the blast as it shook the turrets of the castle or swept the woods that groaned and bowed beneath its awful visitings and this secluded life intense feeling and profound and heart-rooted secret of her silent passion, held perhaps fearful and indescribable alliance with that aberration of mind, that prostration, at once of the heart and the intellect, that have been found to bring forth according as the agents were impelled, the savor of life unto life, or of death unto death. She had all the intensity of passion, combined with all the devotedness of religion, but she knew not which way to steer, or what gale to follow. She trembled and shrunk from her doubtful pilotage, and the rudder was left to the mercy of the winds and waves. Slender mercy do those experience who commit themselves to the tempests of the mental world better if they had sunk at once amid the strife of the dark waters in their wild and wintry rage there they would soon have arrived at the haven where they would be secure such was the state of Eleanor when the arrival of one who had been long a stranger in the vicinity of the castle caused a strong sensation in its inhabitants the widow sandal the mother of the young seaman who had hitherto lived in obscurity on the interest of the small fortune bequeathed her by sir roger under the rigid injunction of never visiting the castle suddenly arrived in shrewsbury which was scarce a mile from it and declared her intention of fixing her residence there the affection of her son had showered on her with the profusion of a sailor and the fondness of a child all the rewards of his services but their glory and in comparative affluence and honoured and pointed to as the mother of the young hero who stood high in royal favour the widow of many sorrows took up her abode once more near the seat of her ancestors at this period every step taken by the member of a family was a subject of anxious and solemn consultation to those who considered themselves its heads, and there was a kind of chapter held in Mortimer Castle on this singular movement of the widow sandal. Eleanor's heart beat hard during the debate. It subsided, however, at the determination that the severe sentence of Sir Roger was not to be extended beyond his death, and that a descendant of the house of Mortimer, should never live neglected while almost under the shadow of its walls the visit was accordingly solemnly paid and gratefully received there was much stately courtesy on the part of mrs Anne towards her niece whom she called cousin after the old english fashion and a due degree of retrospective humility and decorous dejection on that of the widow they parted mutually softened towards if not pleased with each other and the intercourse thus opened was unremittingly sustained by Eleanor, whose weekly visits of ceremony soon became the daily visits of interest and of habit the object of the thoughts of both was the theme of the tongue of but one and as is not uncommon she who said nothing felt the most the details of his exploits the description of his person the fond enumeration of the promises of his childhood and the graces and goodliness of his youth were dangerous topics for the listener to whom the bare mention of his name caused an intoxication of the heart from which it scarce recovered for hours the frequency of these visits was not observed to be diminished by a faint rumour which the widow seemed to believe rather from hope than probability that captain sandal was about to visit the neighbourhood of the castle it was one evening in autumn that Eleanor, who had been prevented during the day from visiting her aunt set out attended only by her maid and her usher there was a private path through the park that opened by a small door on the verge of the suburbs where the widow lived Eleanor, on her arrival found her aunt from home and was informed she had gone to pass the evening with a friend in shrewsbury Eleanor hesitated for a moment and then recollecting that this friend was a grave staid widow of one of oliver's knights wealthy however and well respected and a common acquaintance she resolved to follow her thither as she entered the room which was spacious but dimly lit by an old-fashioned casement window she was surprised to see it filled with an unusual number of persons some of whom were seated but the greater number were collected in the ample recess of the window and among them elinor saw a figure remarkable rather for its height than its attitude or pretension it was that of a tall slender boy about eighteen with a beautiful infant in his arms whom he was caressing with a tenderness that seemed rather associated with the retrospective fondness of brotherhood than the anticipated hope of paternity the mother of the infant proud of the notice bestowed on her child, made, however, the usual incredulous apology for its troubling him. "'Troubling me?' said the boy, in tones that made Eleanor think it was the first time she had heard music. Oh, no, if you knew how fond I am of children, how long it is since I had the delight of pressing one to my breast, how long it may be again before and averting his head he bowed it over the babe the room was very dark from the increasing shades of evening deepened by the effect of the heavy wainscoting of its walls but at this moment the last bright light of an autumnal evening in all its rich and fading glory burst on the casement powering on every object a golden and purpureal light that end of the apartment in which elinor sat remained in the deepest shade she then distinctly beheld the figure which her heart seemed to recognise before her senses his luxuriant hair of the richest brown its feathery summits tinged by the light resembling the halo round some glorified head hung according to the fashion of the day in clusters on his bosom and half conceal the face of the infant as it lay like a nestling among them his dress was that of a naval officer it was splendidly adorned with lace and the superb insignia of a foreign order the guerdon of some daring deed and as the infant played with these and then looked upward as if to repose its dazzled sight on the smile of its young protector Elinor thought she had never beheld association and contrast so touchingly united. It was like a finely-coloured painting, where the tints are so mellowed and mingled into each other, that the eye feels no transition in passing from one brilliant hue to another. With such exquisite imperceptibility are they graduated. It was like a fine piece of music. Where the art of the modulator prevents your knowing that you pass from one key to another so softly are the intermediate tones of harmony touched that the ear knows not where it wanders but wherever it wanders feels its path is pleasant the young loveliness of the infant almost assimilated to the beauty of the youthful caresser and yet contrasted with the high and heroic air of his figure and the adornments of his dress, splendid as they were, all emblematic of deeds of peril and of death, seemed to the imagination of Eleanor like the cherub angel of peace, reposing on the breast of valour, and whispering that his toils were done. She was awoke from her vision by the voice of the widow, niece, this is your cousin John Sandal. Eleanor started and received the salute of her kinsman thus abruptly introduced with an emotion which if it deprived her of those courtly graces which ought to have embellished her reception of the distinguished stranger gave her at least the more touching ones of diffidence the forms of the day admitted of and even sanctioned a mode of salutation since exploded and as Eleanor felt the pressure of a lip as vermeil as her own she trembled to think that that lip had often given the war-word to beings athirst for human blood and that the arm that enfolded her so tenderly had pointed the weapons of death with resistless and terrible aim against bosoms that beat with all the cords of human affection she loved her young kinsman but she trembled in the arms of the hero john sandal sat down by her and in a few moments the melody of his tones the gentle facility of his manner the eyes that smiled when the lips were closed and the lips whose smile was more eloquent in silence than the language of the brightest eyes made her gradually feel at ease with herself she attempted to converse but paused to listen she tried to look up but felt like the worshippers of the sun sickening under the blaze she gazed on and averted her eyes that she might see there was a mild inoppressive but most seductive light in the dark blue eyes that fell so softly on hers like moonlight floating over a fine landscape and there was a young and eloquent tenderness in the tones of that voice which she expected to have spoken in thunder that disarmed and dulcified speech almost to luxury elinor sat and imbibed poison at every inlet of the senses ear and eye and touch for her kinsman with a venial and to her imperceptible license had taken her hand as he spoke and he spoke much, but not of war and blood, of the scenes where he had been so eminent, and of the events to which his simple allusion would have given interest and dignity, but of his return to his family, of the delight he felt at again beholding his mother, and of the hopes that he indulged of being not an unwelcome visitor at the castle. He inquired after Margaret with affectionate earnestness, and after Mrs. Anne with reverential regard, and in mentioning the names of these relatives he spoke like one whose heart was at home before his steps, and whose heart could make every spot where it rested a home to itself and to others. Elinor could have listened for ever the names of the relatives she loved and revered sounded in her ears like music but the advancing night warned her of the necessity of returning to the castle where the hours were scrupulously observed and when john sandal offered to attend her home she had no longer a motive to delay her departure it had appeared dark in the room where they were sitting but it was still rich and purple twilight in the sky when they set out for the castle Eleanor took the path through the park and absorbed in new feelings was for the first time insensible of its woodland beauty at once gloomy and resplendent mellowed by the tints of autumnal colouring and glorious with the light of an autumnal evening till she was roused to attention by the exclamations of her companion who appeared rapt into delight at what he beheld this sensibility of nature this fresh and unworn feeling in one whom she had believed hardened by scenes of toil and terror against the perception of beauty whom her imagination had painted to her as fitter to cross the alps than to luxuriate in campagna touched her deeply she attempted to reply but was unable she remembered how her quick susceptibility of nature had enabled her to sympathize with and improve on the admiration expressed by others and she wondered at her silence for she knew not its cause. As they approached the castle the scene became glorious beyond the imagination of a painter whose eye has dreamed of sunset in foreign climes. The vast edifice lay buried in shade. All its varied and strongly charactered features of tower and pinnacle Bartizan and battlement were melted into one dense and sombrous mass the distant hills with their conical summits were still clearly defined in the dark blue heaven and their peaks still retained a hue of purple so brilliant and lovely that it seemed as if the light had loved to linger there and parting had left that tint as the promise of a glorious morning the woods that surrounded the castle stood as dark and apparently as solid as itself sometimes a gleam like gold trembled over the tufted foliage of their summits and at length through a glade which opened among the dark and massive boles of the ancient trees one last rich and gorgeous flood of light burst in turned every blade of grass it touched into emerald for a moment paused on its lovely work and parted the effect was so instantaneous brilliant and evanishing that Eleanor had scarce time for a half-uttered exclamation as she extended her arm in the direction where the light had fallen so brightly and so briefly she raised her eyes to her companion in that full consciousness of perfect sympathy that makes words seem like counters compared to the sterling gold of a heart-minted look her companion had turned towards it too he neither uttered exclamation nor pointed with finger he smiled and his countenance was as that of an angel it seemed to reflect and answer the last bright farewell of day as if friends had parted smiling at each other it was not alone the lips that smiled the eyes the cheeks every feature had its share in that effulgent light that was diffused over his aspect and all combined to make that harmony to the eye which is often as deliciously perceptible as the combination of the most exquisite voices with the most perfect modulation is to the ear to the last hour of her mortal existence that smile and the scene where it was uttered were engraved on the heart of Eleanor it announced at once a spirit that like the ancient statue answered every ray of light that fell on it with a voice of melody and blended the triumph of the glories of nature with the profound and tender felicities of the heart they spoke no more during the remainder of their walk but there was more eloquence in their silence than in many words it was almost night before they arrived at the castle mrs Anne received her distinguished kinsman with stately cordiality and affection mingled with pride margaret welcomed him rather as the hero than the relative and john after the ceremonies of introduction turned to repose himself on the smile of Eleanor. they had arrived just at the time when the chaplain was about to read the evening prayers a form so strictly adhered to at the castle that not even the arrival of a stranger was permitted to interfere with its observance Eleanor watched this moment with peculiar solicitude her religious feelings were profound and amid all the young hero's vivid display of the gentlest affections and purest sensibilities by which our wretched existence can be enhanced or beautified she still dreaded that religion the companion of deep thought and solemn habits might wander far for an abode before it settled in the heart of a sailor the last doubt passed from her mind as she beheld the intense but silent devotion with which john mingled in the family rite there is something very ennobling in the sight of male piety to see that lofty form that never bowed to man bowed to the earth to god to behold the knee whose joints would be as adamant under the influence of mortal force or threat as flexible as those of infancy in the presence of the almighty to see the locked and lifted hands to hear the fervent aspiration to feel the sound of the mortal weapon as it drags on the floor beside the kneeling warrior these are things that touch the senses and the heart at once and suggest the awful and affecting image of all physical energy prostrate before the power of the divinity elinor watched him even to the forgetfulness of her own devotions and when his white hands that seemed never formed to grasp a weapon of destruction were clasped in devotion and one of them slightly and occasionally raised to part the redundant curls that shaded his face as he knelt she thought that she beheld at once angelic strength and angelic purity when the service concluded mrs Anne, after repeating her solemn welcome to her nephew could not help expressing her satisfaction at the devotion he had showed but she mingled with that expression a kind of incredulity that men accustomed to toil and peril could ever have devotional feelings. John Sandal bowed to the congratulatory part of Mrs. Anne's speech, and resting one hand on his short sword, and with the other removing the thick ringlets of his luxuriant hair, he stood before them a hero indeed, and a boy in form a blush overspread his young features as he said in accents at once emphatic and tremulous dear aunt why should you accuse those of neglecting the protection of the almighty who need it most they who go down to the sea in ships and occupy their business in the great waters have the best right to feel in their hour of peril it is but the wind and the storm fulfilling his word. A seaman without a belief and hope in God Is worse off than a seaman without chart or pilot. As he spoke with that trembling eloquence That makes conviction be felt almost before it is heard, Mrs. Anne held out to him her withered but still snow-white hand to kiss margaret presented hers also like a heroine to a feudal knight and eleanor turned aside and wept in delicious agony when we set ourselves resolutely to discover perfection in a character we are always sure to find it but eleanor needed little aid from the pencil of imagination to colour the object that had been stamped by an ineffaceable touch upon her heart her kinsman's character and temper developed themselves slowly or rather were developed by external and accidental causes for a diffidence almost feminine prevented his ever saying much and when he did himself was the last theme he touched on he unfolded himself like a blowing flower the soft and silken leaves expanded imperceptibly to the eye and every day the tints were deepening and the scent becoming richer till Eleanor was dazzled by their lustre and inebriated with the fragrance this wish to discover excellencies in the object we love and to identify esteem and passion by seeking the union of moral beauty and physical grace is a proof that love is of a very ennobling character, that however the stream may be troubled by many things, the source at least is pure, and that the heart, capable of feeling it intensely, proves it possesses an energy that may one day be rewarded by a brighter object and a holier flame than earth ever afforded or nature ever could kindle since her son's arrival the widow sandal had betrayed a marked degree of anxiety and a kind of restless precaution against some invisible evil she was now frequently at the castles she could not be blind to the increasing attachment of john and Eleanor, and her only thought was how to prevent the possibility of their union by which the interest of the former and her own importance would be materially affected she had obtained by indirect means a knowledge of the contents of sir roger's will and the whole force of a mind which possessed more of art than of power and of a temper which had more passion than energy was strained to realise the hopes it suggested sir roger's will was singular alienated as he was from his daughter sandal and his younger son the father of elinor by the connections they had adopted it seemed to be the strongest object of his wishes to unite their descendants and invest the wealth and rank of the house of mortimer in the last of its representatives he had therefore bequeathed his immense estates to his granddaughter margaret in the event of her marrying her kinsman john sandal and in the case of his marrying eleanor he was entitled to no more than her fortune of five thousand pounds and the bequest of the greater part of the property to a distant relative who bore the name of Mortimer, was to be the consequence of the non-intermarriage of Sandal with either of his cousins. Mrs. Anne Mortimer, anticipating the effect that this opposition of interest to affection might produce in the family, had kept the contents of the will a secret. But Mrs. Sandal had discovered it by means of the domestics of the castle, and her mind wrought intensely on the discovery she was a woman too long familiar with want and privation to dread any evil but their continuance and too ambitious of the remembered distinctions of her early life not to risk anything that might enable her to recover them she felt the personal feminine jealousy of the high-minded mrs and and the noble-hearted beautiful margaret which was unappeasable and she hovered round the walls of the castle like a departed spirit groaning for its readmission to the place from which it had been driven and feeling and giving no peace till its restoration was accomplished when with these feelings was united the anxiety of maternal ambition for her son who might be raised to a noble inheritance or sunk to comparative mediocrity by his choice the result may be easily guessed and the widow sandal once determined on the end felt little scruple about the means want and envy had given her an unslakeable appetite for the restored splendours of her former state and false religion had taught her every shade and penumbra of hypocrisy every meanness of artifice every obliquity of insinuation in her varied life she had known the good and chosen the evil the widow sandal was now determined to interpose an insurmountable obstruction to their union mrs Anne still flattered herself that the secret of sir roger's will was suppressed she saw the intense and disruptible feeling that seemed to mark john and Eleanor for each other and with a feeling half borrowed from magnanimity half from romance for mrs Anne had been fond of the high-toned romances of her day she looked forward to the felicity of their union as being little disturbed by the loss of land and lordship of the immense revenues and the far-descended titles of the mortimer family highly as she prized these distinctions dear to every noble mind she prized still more highly the union of devoted hearts and congenial spirits who trampling on the golden apples that were flung in their path pressed forward with unremitting ardor for the prize of felicity the wedding day of John and Eleanor was fixed. The bridal clothes were made. The noble and numerous friends summoned. The castle hall decorated. The bells of the parish church ringing out a loud and merry peal, and the blue-coated serving men adorned with favours and employed in garnishing the wassail bowl, which was doomed by many a thirsty eye to be often drained and often replenished. Mrs. Anne herself took with her own hands from an ample chest of ebony a robe of velvet and satin which she had worn at the court of james i on the marriage of the princess elizabeth with the prince palatine of whom the former to borrow the language of a contemporary writer had brided and bridled it so well and indeed became herself so handsomely that mrs anne as she arrayed herself thought she saw the splendid vision of the royal bridal flow before her faded eyes in dim but gorgeous pageantry once more the heiress, too, attired herself splendidly, but it was observed that her beautiful cheek was paler than even that of the bride, and the smile, which held a fixed, unjoyous station on her features all that morning, seemed more like the effort of resolution than the expression of felicity. The widow sandal had betrayed considerable agitation, and quitted the castle at an early hour. The bridegroom had not yet appeared, and the company, after having in vain for some time awaited his arrival, set out for the church, where they supposed he was impatiently expecting them. End of chapter 30, part 2